Jesus said that my house will be a house of prayer. And today we dedicate this space to a special time of prayer. Uh, even as we welcome all the, those joining us online, wherever you are making your connection with us today, and ask God just to extend the covering into your house right now as well. And my, sim my simple invitation is this. As God prompts you, as he touches your heart or moves you to take a step of faith today, would you say yes? Amen. So, what's the key to a healthy and productive spiritual life? Where does the power for living transcendently by the touch of God come from in our lives? How can you make, how can you thrive? Is there a way to thrive, not just survive, in a world that is so full of hate? And how can you make the most of your opportunity and avoid the opposite, a wasted, fruitless existence with no eternal hope? Now, today is the final message, the third and final message in our series, The Genesis of Generosity. And um, our title today is, You've Got the Power. You've Got the Power. And we're going to answer the questions I just said. That, But the one thing that I would like for you to remember from this message, if there's a takeaway, it's this. You've got the power. And I believe that's what Jesus wanted his disciples to know when he first spoke these words that I'm about to invite you to hear as if it were the first time you've ever heard them as well. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, then you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. John chapter 15. It is so rich. I hope you'll take time, maybe a little bit later today, to read the whole thing. But here's what we're doing and why I'm summarizing it there. Jesus is telling his closest followers that he is about to exit. He's not going to be there anymore. And he's trying to help them know how, what they're going to do without him. How will they not just survive, but thrive? That was the context for the first time he said this. Telling us that God's desire and plan for them and for you, our lives, is to experience one full of potential in Christ, even though he is physically not present. Healthy, productive, life-giving power. He starts the story off by saying that his father's the gardener. So we're the gardener. He's the vine. We're the branches, we're the stems that grow out of the vine, but Father God is watching over, wanting his garden to be productive, healthy and productive, to his glory, so that when other people see it, they go, whose garden is that? I said, oh, it's his. That's how he raises them, you know, healthy and productive. I am the true vine, he says. You're the branches. If you remain in me, then I in you you will bear much fruit, but apart from me, nothing, nothing. You want to do nothing life, then live one without him. But if you desire your life to be lived like a stem connected to the vine that is vibrant and bursting with fruit, then stay and remain in him. A life rich in luscious harvest or one wasted, empty, and vain. That's kind of the picture he's painting for them right there. Now, here's something that will blow your mind. Um, you may not believe it, in fact. Do you know what the world record is for the most grapes harvested ever? 
happened in South Australia, according to the source, harvested 197.6 tons, almost 200 tons of grapes, premium grapes, are you ready for this? In eight hours' time. Eight hours. Harvested. Now, almost 25 tons of grapes an hour. How many grapes in a ton? Save you the math. 500,000. 500,000 individual grapes. And I'm telling you that not so that you'll know a story about the world record harvested grapes, but so that you will imagine with Jesus for a moment when he was saying, do you know what the potential of your life could be? He's talking about a harvest of much fruit. How much? Well, the world record, you know, eight months because branches and stems remained connected to the vine, healthy and productive. That was easily 99 million individual grapes. 99 million individual grapes. They couldn't have been harvested if they hadn't have grown. And they wouldn't have grown if they weren't connected, healthy and productive to the vine. And that's what Jesus is trying to get the point across here. You know, I'm the vine. <laughs> you are the branches. You remain in me. I remain in you. And you will bear much fruit. How much fruit? The harvest of your life, but apart from me. It's a do-nothing. It's a do-nothing. I don't know if you have ever imagined what kind of harvest your life could have in terms of its influence and its contribution. But I guarantee you, God has. Jesus looked at those first followers of his. I mean, in a matter of hours, he was gone. And he's looking at those guys, and you know what he sees? Much fruit. And I guarantee you that when he looks at you, he's seeing the same thing. When he looks at me, when he looks at us, in light of our world, in light of our experience where we are, you know, he's, looks, he's thinking about a harvest greater than they could ask or imagine. More than once, Jesus promised his followers a harvest of 100-fold. You know, one time he told the story of different, the, the power was in the gospel seed, but as the seed landed, it landed on four different soils, and one of those soils was good ground. And when the seed of the gospel landed on good ground, what did Jesus say would be produced? It would yield a crop some 100-fold. That's productive. That's healthy. That's what he's talking about. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus says this, no one, because some of them were saying, well, man, we've left so much. We've made such a sacrifice to follow you. And this is what he says, no one. No one will ever leave home or brother, sister, mother, father, children, or fields. That's family or vocational opportunity for me who will fail to receive how much? 100 times as much in this present age. This isn't pie in the sky by and by. He's not saying, oh, you'll go to heaven someday. He said, no, if you're trying to make a decision, oh, I want to... I, but I know who I want to marry. I know who I want for my soulmate. And you come along and you say, well, Lord, would you choose for me? And you're thinking, oh, what a sacrifice would that be? Or you're thinking, oh, I want to make a million dollars before I'm 40 years old. And you put your vocational dreams and all of your aspirations in his hand. And you say, and but Lord, you might, you know, this might sacrifice. He's saying no one will sacrifice in business or in relationship 
that will not receive from me 100 times as much, not when you get to heaven, right here. That's what he says. In this present age. Now, is that for somebody here today? Because you're at a decision point, and you're thinking, oh, that's a sacrifice. You know, God might be asking something of me that I'm not ready to do. And he said, oh, no, no, a hundredfold, a hundredfold, a hundredfold. World record material here but you've got to stay connected to the vine. That's what he's talking about, right? In other words, you cannot outgive God. Jesus said it. Paul said it. The Bible teaches it. Whether it comes to your family, your community, your vocation, your church life, which, by the way, that's where abiding in the vine takes place for us. We abide in the vine of Christ individually, but from that individual fruit that is born, you're the stem, you're a branch, and that stem bears a cluster of grapes. But as we macro out from there, you know what? We find out that we're in a community of clusters. And that's where he wants us to experience bearing fruit and sharing fruit and then taste and see together that the Lord is good. And that's what I want you to know today. You've got the power to do that. You've got the power. This is what Jesus wanted his first followers to know in his absence, what their life potential could be, and he wants it for you today. You've got the power to remain in the vine. That's where he said the power is. The power is in the vine, right? And so for you to have the power, you must remain in the vine, which means you have the power to remain in the vine. What are we talking about? Self-control, self-direction, freedom of choice. You've got the power to choose how you're going to live every day. And Jesus said, you can walk by faith, you can live according to his word, you can grow in him. You don't save yourself, Jesus does that. You don't keep yourself, Jesus does that. But you have the power to abide in the vine. Jesus is the vine and you've got the power to keep the connection vital, if you will, every day. An old song says, trust and obey, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Now speaking of happy, did you know you can lose the joy of your salvation? You don't lose your salvation, but you can lose the joy of it. You lose your edge. You start going dull. You get off track. You know, you can get distracted. You can get diverted. And the next thing you know, you're in disobedience, and that place doesn't feel happy. The joy of your salvation goes. Jesus says, but you've got the power to remain in me. So use it. He's telling his guys, you know, the world's going to turn upside down for you. You're going to see me high and lifted up, and it's going to be bloody and ugly, and you're going to think it's all coming to an end. And he said, it's not. You have the power to remain in me because I'm your vine. And if you will use it to remain in me, then I will remain in you and show myself, make my presence known. Here's the second one. You've got the power to bear fruit. Because as you grow, you start developing. Not, you don't do nothing. He said, if you're apart from me, that's a do-nothing life. But if you're connected to me, then you start bearing fruit. How can you tell that you're abiding in Christ? You start bearing fruit. You bear fruit, you share fruit. You know what that's called? Generosity. Life-giving generosity. You are intended to bear fruit and share fruit so others can experience your fruitfulness and get a taste of what it means to be connected to you. How much fruit? 900 million grapes? No. Actually, horticulturists tell us that one stem can be counted on to bear 500 grapes. Not nine, 900 million, but um, 
but 500 grapes. And then as you're connected to the vine and every stem bears 500, then they multiply over time. And guess what? Next thing you know, you've got quite a harvest going. And somebody can taste that and say, whose garden is that? And they say, oh, that's the way he grows them, healthy and productive. You have the power to bear the fruit. Now, Paul said, what kind of fruit is it? In Galatians chapter 5, he said, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit. Love. Huh. <laughs> okay, joy. Saying, hang out there for a little while. This is what God's wanting to bring fruit like this into your life. Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Not this frantic, anxiety-driven life. No. Chill. He says kindness. You don't have to have it your way loudly every time. No, kindness. Goodness. You don't have to cut that corner. You can actually do this thing. The right way, faithfulness, that's the power to hang in there when the going gets tough. Gentleness, self-control, there it is again. These are all fruit of character, fruit of character. Now look at those and tell me what marriage wouldn't benefit right now from that harvest. Am I right? What relationship would not benefit from having that harvest of character and fruit? Love, (laughs) patience, kindness, this is what God wants to bring to your relational life. Oh, I'm going to get, I want it my way, Lord. I got to find somebody who looks like this and does this and makes this and all. No, but here's what I want to do. I want to bring something into your life that will bring a harvest of fruit-bearing, fruit-sharing character. A family. Tell me a family that wouldn't benefit from that. A home that wouldn't benefit from that. Your life. Can you imagine those there God can. That's what he was dreaming. You stay connected to me. I'm going to show up through you. And this is the kind of fruit you can look for. But not only character, but also contribution, acts of service, acts of generosity, which brings us to the third truth. You've got the power to live connected in a life-giving community with others. What's that called? Relationship. Relationship. Verse 9, Jesus says, as the fathers loved me, I've loved you. I just want you to remain in my love. Verse 12, my command. If you need a command to obey, yes, sir, I'll follow your orders. He said, then here's my command. Love. Love one another as I have loved you. And then verse 18, but do you know what kind of world this is? Man, the world's so full of hate. Everybody's got hate speech and hate this and hate that and, you know, cancel culture and I hate this. No, Jesus said, okay, wait a minute. If the world hates you, then let's remember this. They hated me first. I know what it feels like. I know what it's like to live in a world of hatred. How are we supposed to do it? Jesus is telling his guys, remember where this is happening. He's telling them, this is how you're going to make it in a world that's filled with hatred where people are just belching out these fire-breathing hate moments. And he says, you're going to do it by loving each other in the vineyard. Here's my idea. You can thrive in this world by choosing to love one another, and you will make it through. Remain in him. Bear much fruit, engaging your Holy Spirit imagination. 900 million grapes. 
set the record, and then stay in community, in fellowship with the church. I'm telling you, don't float. You don't have to be long in Miami in ministry to realize that sheep kind of wander from pasture to pasture. And then when shepherds talk to one another, they find out where sheep are, you know. But I'm telling you what Jesus said. That's not where your joy is going to grow. Your joy will grow. The fruit will be born, not when you float or when you munch from pasture to pasture, but when you plant and allow the vine to remain in you and you remain in it, and then you bear fruit together and you share fruit together in the church. That's what he's talking about. And actually, when Jesus says, so actually, you need the vine. Yeah, you need the vine, but you also need the vineyard. Some people are like, oh, it's me and Jesus. We got it together. You know, we're good. Jesus said, no, you won't be. That's going to lead you to a do-nothing. Apart from me, because you got to stay in the vine. The vine is connected to the branches. All the branches are connected in the vineyard. And he said, that's where you're going to have a do-something moment. But when Jesus says second person here, pronoun Y-O-U, it's plural. That's like all y'all. That's what that is, right? Southern know what that is. That's all y'all. It's plural. That means no one is left out. Everybody's a somebody. Nobody's a nobody in Christ's body, and we all are connected in it. The power you have, Jesus says. You've got power to remain in me. You've got power to show up with generosity. And you've got power to share community. And it isn't all up to you. Abiding is, that's the part he says. Your part is to remain in me. But providing comes apart from you. God gives it, and he gives it through others when you happen to stay connected in the body, letting his life flow as you obey him by faith. Now, we especially know this is true in relationships. Or have you learned this yet? That we can't make relationships succeed. Have you learned that yet? You can't do that. You know what you can do? You can choose to be faithful. You can bring you into a relationship. And you could bring you connected to a life-giving source into the relationship. And you could bring you bearing fruit and sharing fruit in a relationship. But whether somebody's going to do it the other way is up to who? You? No. It's up to them. This is the wild card in every marriage, in every relationship, in every friendship. Because all you can do is bring you. You can't make a relationship. Is this making sense to anybody? But what you can do, Jesus says, is you have the power to remain in him. You can abide, and you have the power to bear fruit that you can then share. And then that sharing of community, somebody else could choose to show up in the same spirit with the same vine, and God will provide. Abiding, you choose abiding, and God will keep providing. And that's his bottom line here. Obey him by faith, and yield as you let his flow, life flow through you. Now, may I show you how this works in church? Um, your want is someone else's willing. What, I, what does that mean? That means for you to get what you want when you come to a church, this one or any church, then someone else has got to be willing. If you want a place to park where nobody's going to break into your car, 
uh, if you want a friendly welcome and a convenient, easy sign-up for your little ones that matter so much to you, and where they will, your child will then have a clean, safe, fun, happy environment full of people that are bringing heart care for them, your wants are going to be met by somebody else's willings. Does that make sense? Several somebodies, actually. You want, it, we're, now we're talking about volunteering, sharing people, other people who share their time, their talents, their gifts, their bearing fruit, and sharing fruit so that you can have a taste and see the Lord is good. You want a free hot cup of coffee? Then somebody's got to be making that. Somebody's going to be providing that. You want a friendly uh, greeting? You want clean, nice restrooms? Whenever, well, guess what? Somebody helps that happen. You see that? In worship, you come in, you want a comfortable seat, you want a virus-free armrest, you want a pleasant climate, you want inspiring music, you want to be lifted up, you want somebody to give you a truth that's going to make a difference in your life, and I'm telling you that you want what you want, God is willing to meet through somebody else's willing. Somebody who's remaining in him, who's bearing fruit, then sharing fruit so that other people can have a taste. Does that make sense? See how this works? Every want takes a willing to make it happen. You want a, a place where a teen can connect in relationship that is relevant to them at their point of development in culture and life, where they can make friends, where they can receive guidance from God's living truth and then blessings from other adults in their lives. Well, some other adults have got to be willing so that that want can be made. And speaking of adults, maybe you'd like to show up somewhere in a group where you would be respected, where your voice would be heard, where your perspectives would be shared, maybe where you could also be encouraged and where you could be challenged and they would open the Bible together and you would open your conversation and you'd get into it and try to act. How does that work? How could I really live that in my life? I'm telling you, the list goes on. All those wants are met by somebody else's willing. Whether it's a mission project that's beyond the walls of this church or reaches around the world or just across the street, community projects, efforts on mercy and justice, all of our women's ministry, all of our men's ministry, all those things, you know, they bear fruit and they share fruit so that others can get a taste and see that the Lord is good. And I bet if you would just stop for a moment right here and think, somebody's face would come to mind. And maybe somebody that perhaps you've taken for granted because, you know, this is what you always expect and what you get when you come to what you want. And, but if you stop for a moment, you'd realize you got somebody to thank. Oh, it's almost Thanksgiving. This is the genesis of generosity. You know why we have something to say thanks for? Because somebody is giving And maybe this is the time where you could just say thank you to somebody. Pastor Ryan and I were just doing a, a kind of a ballpark count on the total number of volunteers it takes to service all the ministry opportunities that we want to offer around here, not only on Sundays, but all through the week. A lot of stuff goes on around here beneath the uh, tip of the iceberg. You know what we came up with? 300 volunteers, give or take, and they don't all show up every weekend. You know, we kind of rotate on that. But 300 volunteers, because there's about 1,500 hours a week that goes into that. If we paid every volunteer $15 an hour, that's 22,000 
above every week and multiply that times 52, all of a sudden you're looking at $1.17 million. Yeah, that's what that is. That's a, wow, I didn't know that. Also that somebody could have what they want because other somebodies are willing to step up to a million dollar opportunity. You see that? Is that cool? I mean, there's this, Jesus looks at his church and he says, man, could your life be, make a difference, a million dollar difference. Because you stayed connected to the vine and then you showed up not just to get what you want, though there's nothing wrong with wanting. But something shifts when you're drawn into a willing. And actually, that's how your wants get met. How does the church pay for all this? That's another question. You've wondered this. Something else I need to help us think about just for a moment. Don't worry, it won't be long. But the answer is simple. The voluntary gifts of our people. How do we do this? If we just had a million dollars plus HR budget so that we could cover all those man hours required to provide what people want because other people are willing, then how do we pay for the rest of it? You still with me? How do we pay for the rest of it? i got to tell you, every single dollar of our funds are given freely by people that are already in our church. We don't have some outside organization that's, that pipes us money so that we can do what we do. It all comes in the same way, voluntarily gifts freely given by people in our church who are trusting God and obeying Him and wanting to follow Christ, stay, abide in Him, bear fruit, and then share it with others. Only when it comes to financial matters, there are two words that make that happen. One is tithe. The word tithe means a tenth. A tenth. That means a dime of every dollar. Here's how we fund what we do. There are actually people in this church who give a dime out of every dollar that God graces them to earn to underwrite the vision of the church. They give a tithe regularly. I don't know if you've ever thought about that or even had that concept in mind. But that's called a tithe in the Bible. And God says, bring the whole tithe, all 10 cents of it, for every dollar into the storehouse so that there could be food in my house. And the second word is offering. Offering is beyond the tithe. You give a dime of a tithe and you throw a nickel in for the offering. You know, it's like, okay, this is what happens beyond the regular ongoing ministries of the church where we fund our mission projects, our capital improvements, where we take on special um, opportunities. And so we practice financial generosity. That's how we get to do what we do around here. We obey Jesus. He's the one who said, don't store treasures up for yourselves on earth, but store them up in heaven. And then he said, and here's what you'll experience. Wherever you put your treasure, then that's where your heart will go. So if you really want your heart to be in God's hands, then just try putting your treasure there and watch it go. Your spiritual life will grow in vitality as you discipline, you remain in him, you choose self-control and self-direction and freedom of choice to respond in love, to put him first, bear fruit in his kingdom, and then share fruit with others so they can taste and see. And our duty in our office of business and finance is to be careful to manage, and in all of our ministry areas, careful to manage every gift given to help people find and follow Christ in every one of our ministries. 
Where did we learn that? John 3.16, for God so loved that he gave. That he gave. Generosity. The genesis of generosity is the love of the living God. And God loves, so he gives. Gives the cosmos, gives the world, gives life, gives the spirit, gives his son, gives his church, gives his word. And then he says, now would you grow with me to be like me? And let's learn to give. If you've never considered being a regular giver in the life of our church, your church, if you've never trusted God to take the step of faith and give a tithe, is that like a deep gulp? I, I know it can be. And it usually is. Then I'm wondering if God want, might want to say to you, there's blessing for you there. Because the promise always comes with the challenge, the blessing of faith that only comes through obedience to God's will. There's the blessing of watching God keep his promises and then providing for you so that you're not just hearing somebody else talk about it, but he provides your needs, he, meet, he answers your prayers, he opens windows of opportunity, he pours his blessing in like he promised. I mean, Pastor Raphael and I were with a de two deacons in a meeting this last week, and I told him, well, I'm getting ready to talk about this, and one of them immediately volunteers, oh, we never started tithing until we came to this church. And then we heard somebody talk about it, and we started, and we never stopped. And then the other guy, the other deacon joined in. He said, you know, my wife, when we got home from this church, uh, it was a talk kind of like this, and she said to him, I think we should start doing that. And he said, okay. And so they started. He said, we never stopped, and we never missed it. It was like this bewildered, like, blessing. We never missed it. Someone told another uh, one of our pastors, at first, when they started tithing, they didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, but after they tithed, this is their quote verbatim, not only was there money in the bank afterward, but it was more than before they started. And then everybody together said, that's the way it works. You, you know, how can you explain that? You can't. You're not believing me right now. If you've never done this, you don't believe it. But I'm telling you, if you do, God will give you your own story to tell. And that's why he said, you have the power that you can remain in me. I'm your source. I'm going to see that you have everything you need. And as I provide for you, then you're going to bear fruit. And then as you bear fruit, I don't want you keeping it all to yourself. I want you to share fruit. And as you share fruit, then somebody else is going to taste and see that the Lord is good. And then what are they going to say? Whose garden is that? So, oh, this is the way he raises them. Healthy and productive, and they're there for one another. That's the way it works. It's the blessing of being part of his family. It's the blessing of growing from being a wanter when you come to church to being a willinger. Is that a word? I know we got a whole lot of them in this congregation. I'm saying thank you, God, for them. It's not, it's not wrong to want. We all have wants, but Jesus said, there's another blessing that you need to know about. It comes in receiving. You know, there's a, there's a blessing of receiving. And then he says, oh, yeah. And then there's an even better blessing than that. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I'm just telling you what Jesus said. So when you start trusting God to give, he will bless you in giving and take a big step upward in your Christian life when you honor him with your wealth. Instead of letting it own him, you present it or to own you, 
you present the first portion of your wealth to him to say, thank you, Lord, I know where this is all coming from. It's an act of faith. Proverbs 3 says it this way, honor the Lord with your wealth. It's a book of wisdom, right? Wise person honors the Lord with their wealth with the first fruits. That's his way of saying tithe. It's right off the top. And then what's going to happen? You're going to go broke and eat dog food under the, under the interstate. No. He says God is going to show up and your barns are going to start filling up and then your brim will overflow with new wine. Find out for yourself. There's, there's the challenge, but there's also the promise. You can't outgive God. And then there's the blessing of feeling God use you, your life, your cluster that somebody else is benefiting from. And following Christ into eternal hope because of you? Yeah. Then the blessing of entering the story of communion. We had communion today, entering the story of baptism. Communion symbolizes Christ being in us. We take him into our body. Baptism symbolizes us being in him. And on this day, he says, you know, if you remain in me and I'm remaining in you, then I'm telling you what, much fruit is in your future. Showing you that everyone that is connected to the vine is also connected to the vineyard. And now, what a blessing that you've got the power what would it take for your life to take, what would it look like for your life to be lived more powerfully in the vine? I just want to invite you to take that step today. I'm not going to tell you what it is. The Holy Spirit can tell you that all by himself. But I can tell you what Jesus wanted. He wanted for you to trust to remain in the vine. And then he wanted you to bear much fruit. And then he wanted his disciples to share that fruit in a way that impacts the world so that others could come to know the God that they know. And so here's what I would like for us to do right now. If God is calling you, prompting you, you're sensing something that I just want you to say, Lord, I'm willing to step into your story for my life. The Bible says that he is the author and finisher of our faith. That means he's writing the story. But God has a story, and if you let him be the author of your life, then you are the lead character in that story. It's just not the same without you showing up in your role. How does that work? Well, if you're a Christ follower today, what I want to ask you is, are you living in the joy of your salvation? Are you connected in a vibrant, vital point right now? Not tomorrow, not yesterday, not last week, right now. Are you abiding in the vine? Then maybe that's his call to you. And if you would like to remain in him and re-up with him right now, you can simply say, Lord, I want to do that. In my heart, you know where I've drifted, where I've wandered, where I kind of got in a fog, where I got stuck in a bog. I just want to re-up. I want to I check the power source once again and invite you to be my life source and bring me joy, restore my joy. How about this one? Your health will improve. The second one is the productive part. How much do you want to see God use your life? How much harvest would you let him have through you? 500 grapes? 50,000? How many? 
I don't know. But he's got his eyes on you, and you say, well, Lord, what you want from me is what I want from me. <laughs> and I'm willing. I'm in. I, I want what you want for me. And then he might take you into a reflective place. Maybe you've already been there. He said, well, what I want is for those weeds to stop sapping you. In this garden, you've let some weeds grow up, and they're taking the water that needs to get to the vine, and that's why you're not seeing any harvest. It's a time for pruning. You've got to be willing to let go. You want what I want for your life? Then what I want is for you to come with your hands open and say, Lord, have your way and do some pruning in me. And then there's a third request. If you have trusted Christ in the forgiveness of sins and you have invited him to come alive in your life and you have not yet been baptized, then that's your next step. That's how you show that I'm in the vine and I'm connected to the vineyard. And so today, that might be the step for you to take. Some of you have raised your hands with me over the past several weeks and, and that's your next step. You have said, Jesus, come into my life, but you have not yet been baptized. And so that's what I want to invite you to do today to come and be baptized. And we're going to open this altar. In fact, I'm opening it right now for people who would like to come and pray to make a recommitment to the Lord. You can come and kneel and pray. For others who would like to come and say, Lord, with their family, perhaps with their marriage, with their kids, with whatever you'd like to say, Lord, we're looking for a greater opportunity of productivity. So I want to say, Lord, I'm in, and I'd love for you to just prune away those weeds, get them out. And at the same time, they're doing that that you would come for baptism. And I'm going to be standing right over here, and you can just rise from where you are, walk right up these steps, and we've got Pastor Desi back here, and the water's warm. We've already been in it today. There are thirsty towels. It's not going to take long. There's private dressing area. All you need to do is say, Jesus, I've trusted you, but I haven't been baptized. Today's my day. Get up and come. Here we go. Get up and come. Well, let's go. Amen. Come on. Just... Let's, let's, st Jenny, come. Let's go. Let's, let's stand together and let's pray and let's come and let's get baptized and let's welcome the Holy Spirit to move, shall we? Amen. Amen. Amen.